0: Welcome to Conversations, a podcast by Christ Presbyterian Church of Auburn, where we sit down with our pastor, Eric Zellner, and discuss how God's Word applies to our life. Hello, Eric. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Um, welcome back to our listeners. Yes. Welcome back. I think it's been about two weeks. That's good. Getting into rhythm now. There you go. Um, I am your co-host, Michael. Um, and we, uh, we have another good topic today. Um, it seems, it's going to seem a little random of a topic. Um, but, uh, I recently was reading and had been talking with some people about, um, how Jonathan Edwards, uh, a great, uh, what 1800s, yeah, 17, 17 yeah. to 18, 17, yep. 17. Mm-hmm. um, pastor, how he, uh, there's historical data that he owned slaves. During mm-hmm. the time when uh, a lot of the people in the United States owned slaves, and so that uh, was definitely something. There was also, a, um, you know, I talked offline that there is this uh, modern Christian rapper that I that I that had a comment in a, in a rap song about the Puritans and and their their associations with slavery, and so um, kind of just wanted to think about these people who you know Jonathan Edwards and the Puritans who we mm-hmm. hold so highly to. Um, as literally the Puritans are pure in their life, you know, that's where it comes from, <laughs> yeah. um, how they uh, dealt with and how they were intermingled with this, this hmm. slavery that we read about in the seventeen eighteen hundreds, 1800s and yeah. we see the effects of it even to this day. Um, mm. So that was kind of what prompted me to, you know, when, when, when great biblical, yeah. you know, people of the past have these shortcomings, mm. um, you know, where, where, where should we look? We should look to the Word of God, right? There's mm-hmm. conversations about the Word of God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the overarching question for today is, um, how does God's Word uh, speak to and treat slavery? And so I wanted to start with um, Webster's, not Miriam Webster's, this was <laughs> just Webster at the time, um, his definition in 1828 of slavery. So I'll read it um, kind of long, so stick with us. Um, The state of entire subjection of one person to the will of another. Slavery is the obligation to labor for the benefit of the master without the contract of consent of the servant. Slavery may proceed from crimes, from captivity, or from debt. Slavery is also voluntary or involuntary. Voluntary when a person sells or yields his own person to the absolute command of another. Involuntary when he is placed under the absolute power of another without his own consent. Mm. Now, the modern definition... There's three definitions here, and they're all pretty short. Um, this is from Miriam and Webster. This is this is the, the one we all know. Um, the practice of slaveholding. Uh, another definition is the state of a person who is held in forced servitude. Yeah. And another one is um, a situation or practice in which people are entrapped as by debt and exploited. So obviously that would be mm-hmm. obviously referencing to right. chattel slavery. Um, so going back to the original question. Yep. Overarching question: How does the Word of God
1: treat um, and speak to slavery? Yeah, I think the, the uh, even even in those two definitions, you can tell the difference between um, the first, which is Noah Webster, um, who is a who is a professing Christian. He's he's giving a definition in eighteen twenty eight. Uh, that sounds very different from the one today. Mm-hmm. So you read the one today, and it doesn't have any context for a voluntary mm-hmm. slavery mm-hmm. or service. Um, so it's it's pretty important to recognize that, that that change in thinking is indicative of what people generally think. Mm-hmm. So if you're defining slavery uh, today, you, you would not at all think about anything that was voluntary uh, about mm-hmm. slavery. So we need to, I think— Let's let's begin by saying uh, yes. Jonathan Edwards owned slaves. There are others um, in the early days of the colonies that that did, and it, and it is not to be affirmed in mm-hmm. the least. Mm-hmm. Right? We look at that, and we actually need to recognize that it is um, it is opposed to the Bible in a myriad of ways. Mm-hmm. The um, I think the most obvious is to begin by saying when we're talking about the word chattel and we say chattel slavery, the word chattel refers to property. And so um, chattel slavery is wrong because it's actually immediately, if you're looking for a biblical reason why is that wrong, <laughs> it immediately presumes that a human being who bears the image of God mm-hmm. can be owned as a possession. Um, that immediately removes the, the dignity of uh, the inherent uh, humanity in which the Lord has built uh, any man or woman, um, and so in that sense, chattel slavery was wrong. But the other the other reason that that's wrong is because the entire system uh, that that propagated Africans being brought to the United States was it was clearly hinging on kidnapping, mm-hmm. and so the Bible is not at all uh, gray. On the issue of kidnapping, mm-hmm. so from really from uh, Genesis through the rest of the Bible, the concept of kidnapping is not only frowned upon, but it is spoken of as a as an egregious sin. Mm-hmm. The book of Leviticus is full of of those kinds of things. Kidnapping, of course, it, it's not just taking; it's not only. Failing to affirm the human dignity, but what kidnapping does is it separates families. It immediately breaks up mm-hmm. what God intended for there to be a father and a mother and children inside this this uh, family. Mo- moreover, you know, if you if some people will look at that and they'll go, "Well, you know, I think the maybe the Old Testament had a problem with that." I'm not sure that Paul has a problem with that, writing in the New Testament. <laughs> but the but the fact is that even in like First Timothy chapter one verse ten. The uh, Paul uses this term that is basically man stealing, and he and he attributes attributes it to every other sin that's a part of his conversation. There, those who are sexually immoral, those who are corrupt, those who are lying and cheating and stealing and man stealers and those kinds mm-hmm. of things. So it is uh, that concept of kidnapping clearly bars the system itself. Mm-hmm. All right, I think I do think it's important to recognize. I'm not in this life going to have the opportunity to have a conversation with Jonathan Edwards. Um, he is now, I I presume with the Lord, the, uh, but if we were to speak backward to that, Mm -hmm. we would have to help. I mean, if you, you know, you're kind, kindly trying to help them recognize this is a, it's a blind spot in their, in their lives, but the way to help them see that would be to recognize that the entire system is built on, uh, Kidnapping it mm-hmm. begins with that, but but more than that, it also begins with the the owning of property, which takes away human dignity. Mm-hmm. To say that a person belongs to me is to say that they don't belong to the Lord, mm-hmm. um, because they they are mine by virtue of what I own. Um, in the same way, I own a a pan or a dish mm-hmm. or a, or a cow. Um, so we we would want to say that to them. We'd also want to make sure that they. Um, and this is when 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 slavery was affirmed in the United States in its you know by Christians it was generally affirmed like this um well the bible s- speaks into that mm-hmm. and uh so clearly physical abuse of, of another human being would be wrong clearly sexual abuse of another human being would be wrong though we know historically that those were both pervasive in the chattel slavery system but i'm telling you if a christian was trying to put its its Best light on mm-hmm. it, or its best spin—that's what they would say. And they would say, "Well, I'm not physically abusing. I'm not uh, sexually abusing. I am simply—we um, we own these they, these folks who help us in the house, and we treat them well and with dignity." Um, I think what happened by virtue of you know after the 1820s, when the um, when the kidnapping system, I think, ended in 1808. And they couldn't, you know, you couldn't import slaves from Africa anymore in the United Mm -hmm. States. So after that changed, I think that what happened was, and um, this is spoken of by Booker T. Washington in his book, Up From Slavery, he makes the point, like, the system was awful for both blacks and whites. Mm -hmm. It was actually awful in every respect. Because when you own slaves and treat people as if they're property, then it, is also degrading to you mm-hmm. because it remove it lowers your humanity, mm-hmm. um, and and likewise, uh, obviously, the opposite is very true. If you're if you're being treated as uh, as subhuman uh, and property, then it's wrong.
0: I think that's I think that's fair. Why Paul puts man stealing in the in the association that he puts all the other yeah sins in. I mean, that's it, exactly right. Those sins degrade yourself, so it makes sense that he would put man-stealing in there as well. No, that, that's exactly that right.
1: Yeah, that, that list is like, you know, the sexually immoral man who practices homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's how he throws it in <laughs> yeah. there. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty direct. So I, I I do want to say, okay, what does the Bible say about this? Well, um, it is—we—we—we— we, you know, even in your definition right from 1828 to today, there's a there's a transition from what people are thinking mm-hmm. about. So we have to acknowledge when we come to the Bible um, that sometimes the Bible speaks about things that it does not affirm mm-hmm. um, So it, it in this sense when we come across the language of slavery in the Old Testament and I'm talking about National Israel, slavery in the Old Testament uh, was, allowed in Israel under the circumstances of um, a voluntary system mm-hmm. whereby somebody who had committed a crime and could not repay the crime would be made to cooperate with this. Mm-hmm. And in in national Israel they would so you'd have to work off your what you had stolen or whatever like that. there is uh, there's no concept in in the Old Testament that I'm aware of where Israel is allowed to, from war, capture people mm-hmm. and bring them to be slaves. Mm-hmm. That did happen later, but it was not at all affirmed. Uh, moreover, the book of Leviticus is super clear on kidnapping, mm-hmm. again, so all of that would be outlawed. The more common thing that um, when the Old Testament allows for a person to sell themselves to another person in national Israel, God is super clear on these very strict rules, and we would we should be better defining it as more like indentured servanthood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's you know, to be honest, it's not far from what we do with our employers yep. today. Yep. Right? It's, just, it's just not far yep. from it. Okay, I really am going to give you um, eight to fifteen hours of my day. Mm-hmm in exchange for you to give me money. Yep. It's very similar to what was going on uh, in national Israel if, if, a Hebrew slave, if a Hebrew sold himself to another person. The other thing that God instituted in that system was there was always a way for that person to be set free. Mm-hmm. There were always stipulations on the person being set free. So the whole thing was built around the person gaining their freedom or paying back what they owed. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it actually had a—it's it, designed to— um be a deterrent to crime uh also be a deterrent to generational debt and poverty mm-hmm. um and likewise um, it it had the ability in, in that old system it also would have had the ability for a person who uh, imagine a, a child who's born to a single mother I mean a, a, meaning meaning dad's died um, a child who who wants to give himself in service to a uh, the blacksmith down the road or the potter down the road can learn the trade mm-hmm. and it, it would be more akin to our internship, yep. right? Something like that, but it's actually giving them a way to begin to make money and yep. have a skill, a useful yep. skill. So I say all that because that's not exactly the same system into which the Apostle Paul speaks mm-hmm. when we're talking about New Testament, because not only are we, um, you know, almost, you know roughly 1500 years later, We are also um, talking about no longer just national Israel, but we're talking about Greeks and Hebrews and basically the way the New Testament speaks of Jews and Gentiles. And so, you know, there's two places where Paul specifically addresses slavery in the Bible. You know, if we're saying, how does God's Word apply to our lives? Well, you look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 9, Um, And then you look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 22. And in those two passages, Paul addresses uh, using the term bondservants. So for, like, in the Ephesians 6, he says, Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with sincere heart as you would Christ, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will, as to the Lord and not to man, knowing that whatever good anyone does, this he will receive back from the Lord, whether he's a bondservant or free. Masters, do the same to them. Stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and that there is also yours in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. I mean, what Paul's basically doing is saying uh, what the gospel tears down every every social or economic barrier so that a Christian master and a Christian slave need to recognize that they're actually both servants of Christ, mm-hmm. which means not only is the playing field leveled, but more than that, they're actually not— um, the bondservant is not working for that master. Mm-hmm. He's really working as unto the Lord. Um, likewise, the master doesn't have to threaten uh, and, and deliberately treat somebody with— um, unkindness, a lack of respect. You can simply, for a Christian, you can simply speak to those who work for you well. Mm-hmm. And um, so, likewise, in the it's interesting though in in Colossians in Colossians three, it's um, really eighteen through twenty five. Paul's giving instructions about the Christian household. So everybody knows um, Ephesians five, where Paul talks about. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Colossians 3, he actually does the same thing um, in, a, in an abbreviated fashion. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents. Fathers, don't provoke your children. Mm-hmm. Then he says in verse 22, Bondservants servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not to men. Um, and he goes on to explain more about that, but it's actually spoken of in the context of of a household. Mm. So, I think you immediately have, and you and I, when we were talking before we did this, said we need to make sure that we land in in the in the end on two specific applications. Yep. The first is a practical application. Mm-hmm. Um. So when I say that the Bible speaks about things that it doesn't affirm, um, it. Meaning it, you know, these are institutions. It's actually incredibly honest that the Bible speaks about things that are practically in existence at the time of those readers, mm-hmm. but they also have applications for us as well. Yep. It would be, um, it would be more akin to what the Bible speaks of as bond service to think in terms of our working relationships, mm-hmm. um, and so. You know, you work at the um, at for you. You work for a home builder, mm-hmm. right? So your uh, your job from eight to five uh, or whatever the hours are that the home builder assigns, you you belong to them during those hours, and you give to them fair work. Um, and so to apply this, you'd go well, uh, not by way of eye service, not trying to be a people pleaser, mm-hmm. but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So. Uh, that actually can help motivate us as Christians to go. Okay, uh, I, I I may not always like how my job is going. I, I'm sure you like your job, but there's there's going to be listeners who don't like their job. Mm-hmm. They're in a season where it's not great. But the nature of this instruction is because you've been set free, you actually are working in service to Christ mm-hmm. and not to this man or woman mm-hmm. who's your boss. Mm-hmm. Um, But more than that, he's actually speaking very directly about the tendency that we have um, to do something to make sure our work is applauded by human beings. Um, The Bible, you know, gives us a sense that we are so—one of our major problems in all of the world is that we want to be our own king going all the way back to Genesis 1, and uh, I mean, Genesis 2 and 3. The, um, the nature of the problem, of course, is that there are systems and structures in place, and ultimately we are going to be serving something, um, which I think has a—I I mean, by way of application— uh, for that you know you want to you want to eat, then you must work in order to mm-hmm. to have food on your table. And uh, if you're a student and your job really is to go to class, your mm-hmm. job really is to uh, to study. Your mm-hmm. job really is to do the best with what you've been given and the mm-hmm. opportunities you've been given. Um, and not like, you know, as I service to the teacher, um, and I think I and I wish somebody might have told me that at seventeen <laughs> years old, I, I remember trying to make sure the teachers liked me but not really working in any other way other than people pleasing. Mm-hmm. Um, but here's the spiritual application to all this. Um, the Bible is actually full of uh, language, especially the New Testament, of course, that you were and I were and I was, a slave to sin. Mm-hmm. And the Bible gives us a sense that because of our fall into sin, In Adam, all of us are born into a system of slavery that we do not even realize we have. Mm -hmm. And that is that the shackles of evil are not only around our heart, but our mind, and every aspect of our being has been corrupted by those. So Paul uses the language uh, saying, don't be a slave to sin, rather be a slave to righteousness. And that's what he says in Galatians. Um, It's really an important part of the book of Galatians. So, in that sense, when Paul and Peter and other New Testament writers—I I can specifically think of 2 Peter, uh, very first verse, and uh, Paul, many other times in the, in the New Testament, speaks of himself as a bond servant of Christ Jesus. Yeah. What does he mean by that? Well, I was really once sold—to use Paul's language—I was sold under sin in my original fall, meaning— that sin had the rightful claim upon me, Mm -hmm. Um, and I served it, and I was um, subservient to that master, not not even knowing it, not even aware of it. Um, And yet, in Christ, this language of deliverance gives us—you've actually been set free, Mm -hmm. and since you've been set free, therefore live as one who Has been set free and now belongs to a new master, Mm -hmm. a master who is not a a slave driver, but a kind and good father. Um, And so we're encouraged. This is you you get this transition that takes place in the New Testament, and this um, this is like a broad brush. Okay, you go from this concept of slavery to sin, to a slave to Christ. But probably, as Jay Packer says, one of the most ignored doctrines in the New Testament is our adoption. We're actually adopted, and we move from our understanding of slavery to an understanding of sonship and what it means to belong to the Father as a son, to be related to as a son. Um, When Paul uses the language of, you know, in uh, Colossians 3, he says, "...bond servants obey in everything." Well, he's using the language that would be in currency in the day, right? That's just what people called you. Um, You're a slave, you're a bond servant. But he also recognizes that there is a transition that takes place in all those who belong to Christ, that if you've been rescued from sin, you have not been transitioned into a new kind of slavery that continues to bear a weight upon you. Mm -hmm. You've transitioned into a A kind of service to the Lord that is fueled by a heart of sonship. So now I'm actually free from sin to serve the living and true God. Um, And so, you know, we talk about (laughs) this term slavery uh, in the Bible. Uh, There's lots of ugly ways that the Bible had to speak about it in order to hedge against the sin of humanity, but then you have all of these other beautiful ways that the Bible speaks about slavery that transition us in the, in, especially in our understanding of the New Testament and the Gospel, that this good news has brought me from death to life, mm-hmm. and in this new life, I live as a son. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it's fulfilling Christ's words when He says His yoke is easy. Yeah, you know, we yeah. really can just see that. But I think it's a, it's a great pat- practical application that has just such a deep spiritual truth. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And of course, it is very much like our heavenly father to take something that has been twisted and corrupted by humanity to yeah. show his character to show yeah. that he is the good master. He is a good mm-hmm. father. That's right. That um, should be an encouragement to us all. And also somewhat of a conviction, I guess in the, the practical standpoint yeah. of us working unto God, yeah, um, to the Lord, yeah. definitely should be some conviction there, um, of what we're doing with our time at work. I know it's convicting to me. <laughs> i have yeah, yeah. you, convicted That's even right. sitting here. Yeah. Um, but also, um, just deepening in my appreciation for you know, I mean, I'm sure there were some, maybe it's that there were some slave owners that like deeply cared for their slaves. Sure, chattel- sure, yeah. But like that doesn't even come close to the way that right. the heavenly Father it does, yeah. to You're exactly us, You know? right. and just You're exactly right. Just thinking about that just just does mm-hmm. give me encouragement.
1: Yeah, and I think that I think that's helpful to to mention with regards to my own application, if I really am a son of the Father in heaven, why why can Paul speak this way? Because I don't actually get my value, my worth, my um, dignity from what another human being says of me. Mm-hmm. All of that is given to me, and my identity is rooted in Christ, and I'm one of his sons, mm-hmm. beloved of him, mm-hmm. which means— I can happily give my work to this man or woman who I work for, uh, in exchange for money, which is necessary for me to feed myself and take care of my family and all those other things. So anyway, being a son of the living true God makes us good workers. Yep. Uh, and it certainly should.
0: The, uh, what is it? Was it the Protestant work ethic? Is yeah, that, is yeah that that's the, exactly That, right. was, the, that's that the old, was the term that was used. The old
1: Puritan phrase. Yeah, um, that's right.
0: That was another thing that, uh, uh, the sermon the pastor I was telling you about that I listened to his sermon on Colossians he talked about the Protestant work ethic so
1: So it's a a useful phrase (laughs) it's a useful phrase so
0: hopefully it's motivating to to us Protestants I hope (laughs) so so.
1: I hope so Uh, thank you Michael I I hope that's helpful for our folks
0: absolutely well thank you guys all for listening Um, we will catch you on the next one
1: see ya